Welcome to Capital Conversations. This is Chelsea Patterson Soblick with the ERLC here in Washington, D.C. As you likely know, we are taking a break from our normal programming in August to do one-on-one interviews with leaders and friends we work with here in D.C. Today, I am thrilled to interview a friend of mine and former fellow Hill staffer, DJ Jordan. DJ is currently a vice president at Pinkston, a PR and communication strategy firm in Virginia. Prior to joining Pinkston, DJ was a communications director for U.S. Senator James Slinkford, uh, also a Southern Baptist minister. Uh, he was also a communications director for the U.S. House Committee on Small Business and press secretary for a U.S. representative. DJ earned a bachelor's degree in broadcast communications from my alma mater, Liberty University, and a master's degree in public management from the Johns Hopkins University. He previously worked at both CNN and Fox. Um, As an associate editor and producer, he helped develop coverage of breaking and feature news. And he also serves on the boards of several state and nonprofit agencies focused on family issues, including the Virginia State Board of Social Services and Virginia's Kids Belong, which advocates for children in the foster care system. DJ, welcome to Capital Conversations. I am honored to be a part. It is great to be on here with you, Chelsea, another Liberty University alumnus. Go Flames. (laughs) Go Flames. (laughs) (laughs) Well, DJ, I am so excited. And we were chatting before. And one of the things our audience might not know is you and I are real life friends. When I moved up to D.C., um, you just have been such a kind person to me for years and years and a cheerleader. And I admire you on professional level, on a personal level. So I'm excited uh, to have you join us. So I want to go back. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are from and um, your favorite thing about where you're from? So I am from the Virginia Beach, Virginia area. Uh, to, to those around that region of Virginia, it's called the 757 or Coastal yep. Virginia <laughs> or Tidewater, Virginia, or whatever. I was actually born and raised in Suffolk and Virginia Beach and Chesapeake, which are uh, cities that are all within that area. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, I come from a great set of parents who actually also grew up in that area. And um, I tell a lot of people, you know, they they were raised in poverty and um, they had me got conceived me a little bit earlier than they, uh, you know, planned to. And my Mom was actually um, 17 years old when she had me, and uh, it's just amazing to see uh, where they where they came from. Because at that age, at that time, you know, there were a lot of people who were encouraging her to terminate the pregnancy because she was too young and too poor to actually start a family. And my mom and dad had, um, you know, a, a completely different viewpoint of where they wanted to go. And my dad, uh, I really respect him a lot and credit him for where I am today. He earned a college scholarship and actually went to the University of Tennessee, which is where he got uh, a degree in electrical engineering. But at the time, you know, he was very, very poor, working very hard to support me and my mother. And uh, he was able to graduate with honors and he landed a successful job right after that in electrical engineering at IBM. And really the rest is history. And after they had me, they also uh, gave their life to the Lord. Uh, within probably two years of me being born. And I was able to be raised in a Christian household. And they really wanted to change the trajectory of their family. 
but not only their family, but they wanted to change the trajectory of generations to come after them. And that's part of uh, their story, which is part of my story as well. I love that. That's, I mean, I would have assumed they would have been Christians before you were born to to combat the abortion narratives. That's that's neat that the, the Lord had that on their hearts before they even knew him. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a ton of siblings. <laughs> <laughs> me too. My parents... My parents loved me so much, and they were so impressed by me that they wanted to keep on having more children until they got another DJ. <laughs> Mom, just kidding. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest of six kids. I am almost the oldest of six kids, <laughs> so I love it. I love it. Um, that's awesome. And how I, I wish um, all of our audience could know your wife, Gloria. She is just dynamite, <laughs> the most welcoming person I've ever met. How did you guys meet? We met uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia at a school called Liberty University. (laughs) Uh, My senior year, uh, actually my junior year is when I met her uh, as a freshman, I believe. And we got to know each other as friends and we fell in love. And uh, it was, she was amazing. She was unlike anyone I'd ever met before. And I also played football at Liberty too. And to be really stereotypical as a football player, I thought I had met all of the beautiful women on campus (laughs) <laughs> and then one day I saw her walking in a hallway and my breath was uh, just taken away. And I was like, I got to meet her. And so uh, I was too scared to actually approach her at the time, but worked up the courage over the next couple of weeks to figure out who she was and uh, met her. And uh, we headed off right away as, as really close, great friends. And uh, we were married uh, probably a year and a half later in August of 2001. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Yeah, we we got married uh, in the Virginia Beach, Virginia area, and Newport News to be specific. And then we moved up to the Washington, D.C. area, and we have been here ever since. We really wanted to start life, and and we did. So when you moved up to D.C., was your first role in D.C. on Capitol Hill? That's a great question. So out of Liberty University, I did a double major. I was interested in two career tracks. I was really interested in sports communication and political communication. And as a football player, kind of one in the and same, somebody, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, politics is like a sport. To be honest with you, sometimes you get the same type of high. But um, out of out of Liberty, um, I had a double degree: one in communications, broadcast communication specifically, and one degree in sports management which Liberty has a really great sports management program. And when I came up to DC, my first job was actually in sports communication. I actually worked for, yeah, most people don't know that. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because it was such a short lived career, (laughs) but I worked for uh, Comcast Sportsnet, uh, which has now uh, been recently renamed NBC Sports, but it's a regional sports network that focused on the sports teams in the Washington DC and Baltimore area. So I got to work uh, in covering the Washington Wizards, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Washington Nationals when they first um, created their baseball program here, Uh, worked for the Washington football team, I guess I have to call them, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) used to be formerly known as the Redskins, uh, which is my favorite football team of all time. So I got to go to practices and things like that. I was basically a behind the scenes uh, reporter, a producer. 
and I had a blast. I had so much fun. And you'll remember during that time, Michael Jordan actually came back to the NBA and played for the Washington Wizards. And I got to be part of an interview with him. Um, I got That's to see so, so cool. many stars uh, in that job and I loved it. It was a blast. But we started a family early and I had um, my first son right away. And working in sports management does not pay that much. <laughs> and living in Washington, D.C. was tough. It was really tough for a brother to try to provide for a family. And so um, I worked in um, sports uh, broadcasting for two years and um, probably a good year and a half into it, I started to reevaluate you know, really what I wanted to do because I wanted to be able to provide for my family comfortably. And sports uh, often happens in the evenings and on weekends. So my work schedule was all over the place. My off days were like Monday and Tuesday. And normally I worked from, you know, around 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night. And I just looked on the horizon knowing that we wanted to have a big family and really was concerned about how much time I would be able to spend with my kids depending on my career trajectory. And so um, after being there for two years, I decided to working at CNN at their Washington DC bureau, uh, right near the Capitol. And um, love that job. I, I had a lot of fun covering Congress and uh, covering all of the news in Washington DC. Uh, anybody who pays attention to news in Washington DC, it never stops. It's a crazy fast news cycle now, you know. but e it was even that way back in the early 2000s when I worked at CNN, mid-2000s. And I was at CNN in more of a production role. And uh, after being there for three years, I transitioned to work for Fox News, which is not too far away from the Capitol as well. And I worked on the assignment desk and I got to work a little bit more intimately, actually reporting on stories. And I wasn't on TV. Everyone asked me all that time, were you on TV? Were you on TV? No, I have a face for radio. I'm an ugly dude. So I just did reporting from the background and producing an assignment desk work. Um, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I got to meet um, a lot of the names that you would normally uh, hear about, you know, the Brett Bears of the world. Shannon Bream, who was also a Liberty alum, by the way, I met her. For she the was first my time commencement there. speaker. Oh, wow. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Yeah, yeah Shannon's Shane Shane wonderful. Yeah, so I was there for uh, two years and then went to Capitol Hill uh, in 2008. That's great. And then you did, served in a variety of capacities, and now you, um, can you explain what you do at Pinkston a little bit more? Sure. I was on Capitol Hill for 10 years before I decided to uh, move on, and Capitol Hill is a great place. Uh, but it can be a grind, and um, especially for people with big families. I have four children um, and have had foster children over the years. And, and uh, two years ago was when I transitioned to work for Pinkston Public Relations. And uh, we are a mid-sized PR firm located in the Washington, D.C. area. Technically, our office is in Falls Church, uh, Virginia, which is right near Tyson's Corner, if anybody has ever been there before. Uh, and we uh, are a full-service PR firm. We do media booking, prepping for interviews, trying to get media coverage for different entities. We do uh, social media uh, consulting. We do crisis PR consulting. We also do digital services as well, like videos and audio and stuff like that. Most of our clients are mainstream corporations, uh, but we have a fast-growing faith-based nonprofit practice right now, and we work with a lot of Christian ministries 
like American Bible Society, World Relief, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, Bethany Christian Services, uh, the Barna Group, and so on and so on. And we, uh, we have a lot of fun working with them as they have some amazing missions that we are helping them try to accomplish. It sounds like a fun, a fun, fun job. I think that would be extremely rewarding. So I, I want to go back a little bit. You've touched on your family. You have four kids, and you mentioned that you've been a foster parent previously. Can you share a little bit about how God brought your family together? And one of the one of the things you and I have connected on on a personal level is the issue of adoption and foster care. For our listeners, I am adopted, and it's a big passion of mine, and DJ and I have been at many similar tables discussing these issues on a policy front. So I would love if you're willing to just chat a little bit about how God knit your family together. Yeah, I have three biological children, all boys. For some reason, I could not have a girl. (laughs) But, um, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord, and we've always viewed it that way. And after we had our third child, uh, my wife had pretty difficult pregnancies. And around the same time, we also began to uh, explore adoption and foster care and just looking into it uh, around the year of 2010. And the more and more we thought about it, the more and more we felt God really calling us to do that. And we even did research on different types of adoption, international adoption, domestic adoption, foster care, or just being a foster parent. Uh, and the statistics and the data that we learned floored us. One of the things that I remember very vividly was looking at some of the data about the number of foster children in America, in my own community. And it really hit home because within a 15-mile radius of where we lived at the time, that there was so many uh, foster children. And one thing that really hit uh, home for us was the disproportionality racially, that there were so many Black kids in the system that were legally free to adopt, where the state was aggressively begging, you know, so many uh, people to consider adoption and to consider foster care. And, you know, by the time we did a lot of research and we attended an Orphan Sunday event at our church at the time, which is a ministry and a program of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, the question for us was not, should we do this? It was like, how can we not be a part of the solution? And how can we not challenge the church to really get involved uh, with these issues? I mean, you know the statistics, Chelsea, in America, there are 400 children in the foster care system. Um, Of that amount, about 125,000 of them are in need of an adoptive home right now. Uh, And with the pandemic that we're all facing right now, many of the issues that vulnerable families are facing because of the pandemic will probably result in even more children being placed into the system. And so uh, it's a very important passion of ours. But in 2012 is when we, July of 2012, is when we got uh, licensed. It was actually the the last month uh, of our process. Um, It was a short process during that month of July. Ironically, uh, God has a sense of humor. That was also the same month that our beautiful baby girl, was born, but we didn't know her at the time, obviously. But uh, we fostered uh, a child soon thereafter that, um, preteen girl, that was quite an experience, (laughs) (laughs) which is a a whole topic for another podcast for another day. But um, 
you know, we told our social worker that we would be open to adopting from foster care if there were any children who were close to being terminated of the parental rights or in need of an adoptive home. And so soon thereafter, you know, the social worker would begin to approach us about different cases. And, you know, we were basically saying yes to all of them. You know, we were ready. My wife is a nurse as well. So we were open to taking children with special needs. And as a black couple, as a black family, you know, we got a lot of attention, to be honest with you, because they had so many black children that were in the system and wanted to place that way. So um, in the year of 2013 is when we adopted our Victoria Justice Jordan in September of that year. And uh, now she is nine years old and we have four children uh, total age 18, 14, 12, and the princess is nine. (laughs) That's awesome. Mm One of the things I've heard you speak on quite a bit, and I'm so grateful not only for your family's work in this area, but you've also spoken a lot on the importance of fathers and fatherhood. Could you say a little bit about why that's such an important passion for you? Yeah, it's an important passion for me for several reasons. First of all, I really credit my father for the position that I am in and in my life today, if it wasn't for him really taking responsibility for our family and being a great father um, to me and my siblings, then um, who knows where we would be. And, you know, we see this in America where fatherlessness is a, is a big problem in many communities. And the statistics kind of speak for itself. We know that a child without an engaged father is four times more likely to live in poverty. Uh, we know that women who don't have girls who don't have an engaged father are more likely to have issues with self-esteem. They're more likely to have teenage pregnancy. We know that boys are more likely to have a run-in with the criminal justice system. And, um, you know, God uh, really wanted families to really give support to children as they're being raised. And um, I just want to challenge fathers to continue to to step up to the calling that you have, uh, not just in your family, but in our community. If we had more fam- more fathers who took responsibility for their children in communities, they would be strengthened. And, and I think um, I've seen that over my life. Um, I also served as the on the Virginia State Board of Social Services from 2013 to 2017. It's a, an appointment position from the governor. And, and time and time again, we would uh, engage with uh, different communities and low-income housing and Section 8 housing. And oftentimes we talk to the managers of those facilities and they would tell us about some of the regulations that prevented previously incarcerated who come out of prison, who may be fathers. In many uh, states, they're not allowed to live in those those communities, in those housing projects. But they would talk about how they would try to do anything possible, whether getting an exemption or whatever, to get those men back into the communities, to get them back into the homes, because they saw it made a difference. It made the community safer. It made the neighborhood safer. And the children really responded differently to that. And so, um, yeah, so many reasons why I'm passionate about fatherhood. And um, I'm glad that you guys at the ERLC continue to talk about uh, the role of fathers, not only uh you know, in communities, but in our country. Absolutely. Well, thank you um, so much for that. And I think one of the things you touched on that we obviously work on here is is public policy and the importance that 
um, whether it's federal policy or local policy has on vulnerable people. And I so appreciate um, the work you've done um, both on and off the hill to advance policies that help care for vulnerable people. Um, So I I said earlier that you have worked for Senator James Lankford, who is a believer on Capitol Hill. What was it, what was your experience like on Capitol Hill working on the Hill in policy? Oh my gosh, man. Working for Senator James Lankford. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Senator James Lankford is, I would uh, really encourage you to check him out online. Look at his bio. He's um, someone who has been in full-time ministry uh, his whole life, and he's an ordained Southern Baptist minister, went to Southwestern in Texas, and um, he's he's just an incredible person. Uh, after 22 years of ministry, he felt called by God to run for office, political office, back in 2010, and he was the camp director in Oklahoma at the Falls Creek Camp, and he uh, quit his job and started running for office. And everybody thought it was a joke so that cool. he was doing this <laughs> at the time. He got involved in a crowded primary, I believe, for the 5th Congressional District of Oklahoma at the time. There were seven different candidates, and he was the least funded. He was this guy who came out of nowhere, and uh, he ended up shocking the political landscape in Oklahoma by coming in second place. And there's a runoff system in Oklahoma. So second place means that you you uh, you get to the runoff election that was, I think, a month or two months later or something like that. And in the final election, through that campaign, he got so much support. Many of the other uh, candidates who lost to him ended up endorsing him and supporting him because they loved his style. They loved that he was, um, he was such a great man of character. And he ended up winning the runoff election handily and went to Washington, D.C. as a congressman. And he was in Congress for four years before running for the U.S. Senate in 2014. And that's when I joined his staff uh, after he won that, uh, after the late uh, Dr. Tom Coburn stepped down from the Senate uh, because he was uh, ill at the time. And and so uh, we I worked with him as he built his Senate office for the first time. And I'm telling you, as someone who had been on Capitol Hill for you know, five years before that, six years before that, you know, I was a little jaded, to be honest with you, about politics and about Capitol Hill. And I was thinking about leaving. Yeah. And there were so many people who I thought were elected members of Congress who really weren't in it for the right reason. And working for Senator Langford, it was basically a breath of fresh air. Um, and um, he is a man of God, first and foremost, he's ministry minded. And so you would see him, you know, having conversations all the time with people all throughout Capitol Hill, no matter if they were the janitor or the police officer, or just visitors, he would take time to speak to people all the time. And he was just very, very genuine. And when we worked on different policy aspects, he came from it, from the same worldview that I had. And so it was a lot of fun. And as a Republican, we also wanted to talk about issues that Republicans normally didn't talk about, um, talking about compassionate issues like foster care or anti-poverty or uh, a number of different things uh, that we talked about. And it was really, really cool to work with uh, someone like that because he was willing to try and talk about whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we had a blast. And of course, we worked with the ERLC very, very closely, Travis Wusso and Dr. Russell Moore. And, you know, we worked behind the scenes on so many things that most 
people uh, outside of the Beltway will never, ever see. But, you know, Senator Langford worked very hard uh, to get certain pieces of legislation passed. He worked very hard to get certain pieces of regulation from the administration passed. But he also worked very hard to stop a lot of bad stuff from happening, too, along with your team, Chelsea, at the ERLC. So it was a blast. Well, the respect uh, goes both ways. We are very, very grateful for Senator Lankford. And we both know, we've both worked on the Hill. The egos on Capitol Hill are massive. And just his character speaks for himself that he would um, be so generous with his time and his attention because that is not the norm and not the case at all. Uh, So we're we're very grateful for him. So we, um, as I wrap up, I would love if you could just share with us what some daily rhythms, they can be spiritual or not, um, that you practice that help keep you grounded um, in the midst of COVID-19 and in the midst of uh, Washington, D.C., and um, to thrive as a dad, a husband, a professional, etc. Yeah, I mean, the, the spiritual disciplines are so important. Reading your word, fasting on a regular basis, of course, going to church, having community and things like that are so important. But for me, it is so vitally important to be in connection and community with other Christians who are here in Washington, D.C. And I do that intentionally by regularly calling some of my my brothers in Christ because, um, you know, in D.C., it's very, very uh, driven place to be. As a staffer, there are thousands and thousands of very successful people who come here who want to change the world, and they're all smart. And uh, it's very easy for that job and that work to become your identity. And you can oftentimes forget that you are um, you belong to Christ first and foremost. And so uh, talking on a regular basis with a group of guys in Capitol Hill who are Christian and who challenge me and who encourage me is one of the things that really keeps me grounded, even during the midst of this pandemic. I think it's just very important for that uh, being in Capitol Hill. There's also, uh, most people don't know this uh, outside of the Beltway, but there are numerous Bible studies and groups and opportunities for people in D.C. of faith to gather and to study the Word together. And some of those times are some of the most rich times that I've had in D.C. I know, Chelsea, you're probably involved with groups as well, uh, whether that be with Faith and Law, which is an amazing ministry uh, that really challenges um, people on Capitol Hill to apply their faith and their convictions to how they do their job with public policy, or whether it's, uh, you know, the Senate Chaplain's Bible Study with Barry Black, or whether that's uh, numerous church Bible studies that are here in this area who gather young people people of all ages, really. And I, I think those things are really, really beneficial uh, to me. That's good. Well, my last question for you, DJ, is um, where can people uh, stay in touch with you? Oh, okay. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all over the place. So DJ Jordan VA is the handle for, I think, all of my socials. DJ Jordan VA. My website for my company is Pinkston, www. Uh, dot pinkston.co co um so numerous ways to get in contact with me and chelsea i just want to tell you how great this has been to have this conversation and i'm just so excited about what you guys are doing with the erlc in dc that many people don't see on a daily basis but y'all are literally changing the country uh one policy at a time here in washington dc thanks dj and thank you so much for joining us today on capital conversations 
This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you would be so kind, send a link to this podcast to someone in your community or leave us a kind review and rating. Our hope for this podcast is that the conversations around our table would foster a new way for Christians to engage in the public debates of the day. Every episode of Capital Conversations, as well as resources from this week's episode, are available at erlc.com to equip you and your church.